Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. A warm, warm welcome to church uh, this morning. If you're joining us online, uh, a warm welcome to you uh, as well. I hope that you had a lovely Easter if you're with us. I know that you were blessed because uh, we had an incredible time last Sunday gathering together to celebrate the reality of the resurrection, which is a, a special thing to do, yeah? Uh, and, and for the last month, really, we've been in, in a series, been in this series that we've been calling uh, A House of Prayer. Who's been there for the series? Yeah, it's good. If you, if you didn't raise your hand, you're either saying that you're new or dobbing yourself in for the fact that you haven't been in church for a month, which is all right. God's grace is abundant for you. Uh, but, but it's been a great series, and it's been cool to hear uh, how it's been landing for people. Our people have been feeling uh, called more into the opportunity of prayer, that prayer isn't something that we have to do, but prayer is something that we get to do. Yeah, that prayer is not a means to an end, that it's not a way of kind of manipulating God or, or getting enough uh, ticks in the right column to get God to do the thing that we want Him to do, but that prayer is the whole point. That prayer is intimacy uh, with God. And so really we've been looking, we kind of started with the idea of, of Jesus establishing prayer, of Jesus establishing this tabernacle, of bringing back intimacy with God, not, not as a tool, but as the whole and entire point, as a taste of heaven now. We looked at how we can pray, right? That God moves through prayer, that it's not just for us, but that God wants to bring transformation to our, our communities and that we can partner with them in seeing something of heaven come to pass here and now. And you might think that a month is long enough to speak on prayer. And I just want to say it's not. So we're going to do it for probably uh, another month, but I promise you it'll be new stuff. We won't just retread. I'm not like, hey, look, you guys are not praying good enough yet. So we're going back to, then we're starting again, the tabernacle of David, right? Let's do it again, and we're not doing that, right? But, but really, if we've been looking at kind of why prayer is important, uh, today and for the next couple of weeks, I really want to look at really practically how do we pray? Because I think for many of us, prayer is one of these things that, that we know it's good to do. We know that it is helpful for us. It's maybe even something that we want to do, but when we go about trying to do it, we struggle. Or we find that there is a set kind of maybe even tired routine and rhythm that we do. Where we're like, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm praying or if I'm just going through the motions. I hear you talk about this could be a dynamic, this could be a life-giving thing, and yet that's not my experience. And so today I want to get quite practical, and I want to ask the question, how do we talk with God? In fact, if you're taking notes uh, today, that's, that's simply the title of this message. How do we talk with God? If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Luke chapter 11. I'm going to read verses uh, 5 to 13, and, and then we'll get into it. It says this. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed, I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? 
Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Why don't you bow your heads with me one more time and let's pray. God, we thank you for these moments together. God, I thank you for for the people in this room who have chosen to put themselves in this room to receive from you. I thank you that we come today with expectancy. God, I pray as we look at your word today, as we look at what does it look like, what does it mean, how can we talk with you? I pray it would not be my ideas, it would not be my words. God, whereas of me would it fall to the ground, but would your word land in our hearts? God, would we be transformed? Would we be reminded? Would we be encouraged? God, would we leave here more assured of your love for us and your hand with us as we walk out the life that you've called us to lead? God, that you would speak today. We pray this all in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. One of my favorite parts about being a dad is, is having conversations with the kids. Now, now our, our kids like to talk a lot, right? They've got that from their mother, right? Obviously, that's something that they've inherited. They're just chatterboxes. At home, I'm sure you entirely believe me. I just cannot get a word in edgewise, right? Which is why I, why I speak so much when I'm up here. I'm just, finally, it's an outlet. It's like, I, I get to talk now. This is my time. I have a microphone. At home, I've tried to have a microphone, but they take it off of me, right? It's, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't work out. So there may be some small untruths in there. Exaggerations, we like to call them. Uh, but, but I, love, I love talking to the, the kids. And, and really, you know, I can, I can handle the, the baby stage. I've, I've enjoyed the baby stage where they're kind of making noises at you, where they say kind of hi and, and, and please and, and stuff like that. But what, I, what I've loved is when they start to learn not just to talk to you, but they start to learn to talk with you. Right, anyone who's been around a kid for a while, you know that transition that happens. I remember those moments where, where I'd be talking to them and I'd be asking them about their day and they'd tell me about their day and then they would follow up with a return question, Dad, how was your day today? And being like floored by it, which seems a, an overreaction to quite a simple kind of, but it's just the first time in this interaction between me and this little person where they're asking me, man, how is your day? And so I let them know and they don't ask that question anymore. They're like, dad, answer's way too long, right? Like just, uh, just me to say, yeah, good, thanks. And, uh, and, and move on. Like, let me tell you, I'll tell you all about it. Did you know I learned this today? And I read this today, dad, I don't know what those words mean. I'm like, oh, I'm expanding your vocabulary. It's good for you. Like, there's something cool that happens when a kid goes from talking to you to talking with you. And I think there's a similar development, a similar growth that happens in our talking with God. Most of us, we learn to pray just like children. First, we learn the vocabulary and the, and the grammar of, of life with God. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that prayer can be like, like jazz. That to play jazz, first of all, you need to learn the, the sheet music. And we talked about the idea of a borrowed prayer, that we can pray prayers written by other people that help to give us the, the language and the vocabulary that grow us, but, but also can be really helpful things to fall back on as a discipline when we're finding the words hard to find. When we don't know what to say, we can do what Jesus did. And if it's good enough for Jesus, I would suggest it's probably good enough for us to fall back and to, to pray the Psalms, to pray prayers that, that the, the Bible has written for us, to pray prayers of history, right? That a borrowed prayer can be so helpful as a way to, to develop language, but also a discipline to fall back on. And, and just as we teach children to, to speak, say, Dad, say, Mom. That, that Jesus teaches us to, to pray, say our Father in heaven, right? That we learn to pray by borrowing prayers. We learn to talk to God. 
But I also want to suggest that there comes a, a time in, in our lives, in our walk with God, and it's not necessarily a linear progression. Sometimes it's a bit kind of you're here and then you're there. It's just a, a moving through places. But there are times in our walk with God where we, we desire a more personalized approach, a, a more relational kind of way of interacting with God, more grounded in the highs and lows of your particular life. And so we begin, most of us just kind of intuitively, not just to talk to God, but to talk with God. We start to have our own conversations with Him. And I started today with Luke chapter 11, right, verse 5. And if you're sharp, you might have noticed that this flows from verse 4. That's how numbers work. We're working on that with Ollie. You go one, then you go two, then you go three, then you go. See, you guys are sharp. You guys could easily pass new entrants at primary school. So at least you got that going for you, right? It's be a minimum. It could be the tick of approval. You could do more as well, I'm sure. I just that's as far as um, we've currently got to. Right? And, and so verse four uh, precedes verse five. And in verse four, Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. Right, which we've spent a couple of weeks kind of looking at and around. And so Jesus gives us this, hey, this is how you pray. Ask our Father in heaven and, and come in this way of talking to God. And then he moves from that into talking about an example of a friend asking their friend for food in the middle of the night, which we can all relate to, right? We've all knocked down our neighbor's door and been like, hey, it's in the middle of the night. I've just had someone pop around. Can I please have three loaves of bread? It's not maybe something that super, you know, uh, happens to you all the time. But in this context, it's, it's not an outside of the norm uh, experience that, that hospitality is important. And if someone shows up, whenever they show up, it's important to greet them with a meal. And if you didn't have a meal on hand, you need to ask your neighbor or your friend for a hand in, in putting that together. And so Jesus uses this example. Say a friend shows up and you don't have anything to feed them, you go to your neighbor and ask, can I borrow some food? Now, even if, you're, if your neighbor is, is a friend of yours, they're not going to get up in the middle of the night because even back then, people are people, right? They're like, no, go away, I am sleeping. And yet, if you are persistent in asking, then they'll get up and, and answer the door and give you what you're asking for. Jesus is using here a, a rabbinic form of teaching that scholars call, how much more? Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, how much more? Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say it like it's something that maybe is a little bit interesting and exciting rather than something that's very like, oh, I don't want to say this at all. Turn to your neighbor and say, how much more? See, what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's drawing attention to a point. And I want to be really clear. His point is not, right, not that God is some sort of grumpy neighbor with a do not disturb sign on his front door who just wants to be left alone. But if we bang loudly enough and, and if we ask for long enough, he'll finally relent and give us what we want. God is not some sort of divine Oscar the Grouch, right? That is not what this prayer, this is not what Jesus' example, this is not what Jesus is saying. God is not the grumpy neighbor in the story. Just to be clear, is God the grumpy neighbor in the story? Someone said yes, right? We'll work on that after the, the service. Jesus' point is that even if a grumpy, begrudging neighbor will answer your request, even if this person who desperately doesn't want to will relent because of the way in which you ask, how much more will God, who is not a grumpy, begrudging neighbor, answer when we ask? Right, we see the way that he drives this home. He's making this comparison, but he drives it home by then immediately going to his favorite metaphor of God as a father and us as a child. 
where he talks about men. If a grumpy neighbor will give you what you want if you ask, how much more will God? Then he goes, let me remind you of who God is. We just prayed the Lord's Prayer, our Father who is in heaven. If, if you who are evil fathers, and that's not, he's not throwing shade, he's just saying in comparison to God who is the ultimate good father, if we in, in, our, in our mixed up fallen ways would give our children good gifts, how much more does God want to give us good gifts? How much more is God wanting to answer when we ask? If a begrudging neighbor will answer the door, and God is so much more than a begrudging neighbor, he is a loving father, even better than any loving father that we might know, then how much more is asking God so different to what we're used to? See, there's a progression to Jesus' teachings here. Right? Jesus starts by teaching his disciples to talk to God. Meaning, prayer, a borrowed prayer. When you pray, pray like this, our Father who is in heaven. But he assumes that his disciples will move not just from talking to God, but, but they'll move in and out of that into talking with God, to come to God as a Father. Because prayer is like jazz. Prayer is not just the sheet music, but it's going off the page. In the same way, we begin to, to pray by learning the, the basics of life with God. But then we move to just riffing in our own conversations with our Father, talking with God. And so obviously we can talk with God in like a hundred different ways. For every person, there's a different approach and there's different needs. And, and God's amazing in that he talks back to us in different ways, right? Although we'll, we'll do probably more on that next week. But, but church history has kind of broadly categorized talking with God into three overarching themes that I, I want to look at today that I think can, can inspire us and can remind us these are ways that I can talk with God. Is that all right? That's good. The three, three themes, if you're taking notes, work through each of them, but to give them to you um, up front, number one is gratitude. Gratitude, we could summarize as talking with God about what is good in your life in the world. Number two is, is lament. Lament is essentially the, the other side of this. It's talking to God about what is evil in your life in the world. And then finally, petition and intercession, which is asking God to fulfill his promises to overcome evil with good. Right? Hopefully you kind of see the, the rhythm there. And so in the rest of our time together, I want to look at each of these in turn, and, and hopefully at least one of them will jump out at you as men. And this is a way that I can talk with God. This is some language, this is some vocabulary, this is some permission even for me to talk with God in the way that I feel stirred to. This is my permission to go off sheet music a little bit and just riff with God. Yeah? Awesome. So first, uh, let's, let's look at the, the, the easiest, the funnest one, because uh, that's a nice place to warm up. Gratitude. Talking with God about what is good in your life and the world. Think, think for a moment about uh, Adam and Eve in the, in the garden, right? Their, their sin was ultimately a, a failure to receive life as a gift, right? Their, their sin was a failure to receive life as, as a gift. Instead of relating to God as a giver, they took kind of the gift of life for granted and they chose to define good and evil for themselves, Rather than maintaining that posture of God, this is an incredible thing that you have given to me, and therefore you get to define what is right and wrong, what is good and evil. They forgot that God was that giver, and they made themselves God. They said, we can define what is good and evil. The, 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 the kind of genesis, it was a funny Bible joke, right, of original sin is that they forgot that God was the giver. And there's this interesting tension that we hold as, as people of faith that we recognize, you know, human rights are a thoroughly Christian concept. 
If we look throughout history, we see that the human rights have arisen most in, in, in Christian worldviews and Christian nations and are definitely esteemed in them. But, but we also hold the fact that while everyone is immeasurably valuable to God, life is a, is a gift. We, we are not owed anything. Everything that we have, we, we get to be grateful for. Nothing is earned. We, we are given everything. It's a, it's a gift. And, and so if that's true, gratitude isn't just the beginning of prayer. Gratitude is at the heart and soul of our entire relationship with God. Right? It, it, it's important to, to remember the gift of life, the gift of grace, that at the center of God, Father, Son, and Spirit is, is a generous, loving, joyful, self-giving, other-focused love. Right? We know it. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Galatians 1.4 says of Jesus that He gave Himself for our sins. Generosity is at the center of the gospel because God is by His very nature generous. You know, one of the, uh, one of the greatest regrets of my life, everyone's like, oh, now we'll listen, now we'll lean in. And the scriptures we were kind of, I was tuning out a little bit for, but greatest regrets of your life, Jono, I'm there, I'm with you. Tell me more. One of the greatest regrets of my life happened around uh, Christmas of 2013. Uh, Emma and I were newly married, and, and that Christmas, Emma's parents gave me one of the greatest gifts I've ever received. They gave me a, a, a skydiving voucher. Right, which is like as far as gifts go. I'm excited about skydiving. If you were horribly afraid of heights, it could be a very passive aggressive, horrible gift, right? That was not the case. Uh, my, my parent in law, they love me, I, I think. I'm pretty sure. Hey, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it was a nice gift. Uh, and, and so I was stoked. It was a long time dream of mine. And, and again, we lived in Wellington. And so not every day is a viable day for skydiving, right? You have to go skydiving on a good day in Wellington. And, and despite what people in Wellington tell you, not every day in Wellington is a good day, right? So you have to find the time where you can see through the clouds, you won't get wet by the rain, and the wind will not blow the plane from the sky to go skydiving. So, you, you know, you've got maybe two or three days in the year to get that done, and, uh, and that'll be awesome. And so I took this voucher and I put it in a drawer and I was like, man, I'm, I'm waiting for the perfect day. This is going to be incredible. And, and life got pretty busy and we were doing things. And, and it came around to about Christmas 2014, just the approach. And I thought, man, I need to use that, that skydiving voucher. And so I pulled it out and I looked at it. And, and Em's parents had been kind of uh, good in planning ahead for Christmas and they'd bought it early. But what that meant is, is they'd sold the skydiving voucher with an expiry date. And so this beautiful present had, had expired. Now, I want to say, just a quick kind of side note on expiry dates on vouchers. Sin, right? It's just horrible. It's just an evil thing. Like it's a, hey, I'm giving you my money, locking in the fact that I'm going to spend my money with you. And, and as a result of me doing that, you are choosing to be so kind. And what you're doing is you're starting a clock to say, hey, thank you for giving us your money. Now we're setting a time frame in which you can spend that money. Like I might as well have just kept the money to myself and said, hey, one day I'm going to use It's a wrong. It's a wrong thing, right? If you're here and you set expiry dates on gift vouchers, I just want to rebuke you in the name of Jesus and say, please don't. Unless it's your job and you have no choice, in which case, you know, we'll, we'll pray for you and we'll work it out. But it's just stupid, right? Like, it's a silly thing. I don't understand why we have it. And, and to be honest, nowadays, I would just argue about it, right? Like, I'd be like, no, that's ridiculous. You can't make my money expire. You need to honor this. I, I know the Commerce Commission. Like, I'm going to write to someone in government because I'm that guy. And, and I used to work with them. So they, they're going to read my emails. Just do, 
be nice, right? But back then, I didn't, I wasn't that person. I was meeker and milder and perhaps nicer. Uh, and, and so I just kind of took it on the chin. And I was like, well, that sucks. Here is a beautiful thing that I really wanted to do, and now I'm not going to get to do it. And therefore, it's one of the greatest regrets of my life. Ah, oh, thank you. Makes me feel better. My, my point is, other than a really cathartic moment, I, I thank you for that. You'd think I was not married to a professional. Um, anyway, uh, my point is, is, is that I was given a gift. I was given a beautiful gift, and I never actually received it, not through any fault of the giver, but through my lack of action. What I'm saying is just because a gift has been given doesn't mean that it has been received. There is a, a period of time in between. There is kind of a gray zone that exists between a gift being given and a gift being received. And, and we get to do something to act in that space. Last week, I quoted one of my uh, favorite authors, Frederick Buchner, and I'm just, I'm feeling very loving and kind towards you. So I'm going to quote him again this week, right? I'm not setting a precedent. I don't have that many Buchner quotes because some of them are, are quite long and flowery. But here is another one for you. It says this, we'll put it up on the screen. The grace of God means something like, here is your life. You might never have been, but you are because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Nothing can ever separate us. It's for you I created the universe. I love you. There's just one catch. Like any other gift, the gift of grace can be yours only if you'll reach out and take it. And maybe being able to reach out and take it is a gift too. See, see, gratitude is the primary way that we relate to God. God has given good gifts. God has given us a beautiful world. God has given us an amazing existence. The world is, is a beautiful place. But part of us receiving the gift that God has given us is choosing to engage in gratitude. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, that we are to be overflowing with thankfulness. You know, this isn't like your mom telling you off for not having good manners. Right? Like it's not like how you need to say please and thank you at the table. Gratitude is how we intentionally receive God's generosity. Let me say that again. Gratitude is how we intentionally receive God's generosity. The gift has been given, but our intentional act of receiving who God is and what he does is unlocked, is accessed through our gratitude. You don't have to be thankful. You don't have to pray gratitude. But I want to encourage you, if you don't, the only thing that you are doing is hurting yourself. We don't pray gratitude to impress God, right? God's not that nervous gift giver at Christmas who's gone out on a limb and the present is wrapped up and they're watching you unwrap it with bated breath. Like either this is going to be a spectacular success or a spectacular failure. And they're waiting to kind of see the moment on your face. Like, are you like, thanks? Or are you like, ah, th thanks? That's not God, right? God is not nervously somewhere in the, the ether awaiting our prayers of gratitude. Like, do you like the world I made for you? Do you like the, the existence that you have? You do? <sighs> right, gratitude is for us. It's to open ourselves up to all of what is good and right in life. We see more of what is good and right in life when we pray gratitude. There's more, we could preach an entire sermon on gratitude, but, but to move through. We can't leave it here because life isn't always good and right. 
There are moments in life in, in which life is the exact opposite of good and right, almost sometimes made harder by the fact that we have seen that life can be good, and this is the inverse experience. And so what do we do when things are not as they should be? This leads us to our second type of talking with God, lament. Talking with God about what is evil in your life in the world. What do we do with pain and suffering? What do, what do we do with disappointment and sorrow? What do we do with anger and with bitterness? The invitation of Scripture is to pray it, to talk with God about it. As Pete Gregg, founder of 24-7 Prayer, would say, pray what you got. The only right way to pray is honest and often. And so if you have gratitude, talk with God about that, pray that. But you might not always have gratitude if your life is anything like mine and you're living here with us on planet Earth. And so when you don't have gratitude, when you have grief or when you have anger, talk with God about that, pray that. Right? It's an open secret that, that many Christians find prayer boring. And I think one of the reasons for this, at least I've found in my life, is that I'm often not actually praying, I'm performing. See, we're so used to performing our life with other people, aren't we? We see it all the time. I alluded to it earlier, that, that classic Kiwi greeting, hey, how you doing? We all know we have now entered into a delicate social dance, right? Hey, how you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. How about you? Acceptable answer. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, can't complain. Can't complain. All you want to do is complain, but you're in a delicate social construct. So you'll just say, yeah, no, it's good. It's pretty good. Yeah, no, nah, good, thank you. And you leave the conversation completely unseen, completely unsatisfied, completely unfulfilled. It's a bad part of Kiwi culture. We can fix that, right? But even worse is when we bring that approach to God. When we approach God and we pray something like, oh, hey, hey, God, how are you? G good, I guess. God, I think that's an important part of your personality. You're always good. Me, oh, God, can't complain. Um, I could, no, I won't, won't complain. I think you're pretty busy. Think you've got a lot of stuff going on, pretty full plate. Uh, wouldn't want to be a bother. I'll check in with you next month at our allotted prayer time when my guilt levels get too much and I feel like I need to pray again. Uh, XOXO, Jono. <laughs> right, we, we take this way of not praying but performing, not just in our, in our interpersonal relationships where it is not healthy or helpful, but even into our relationship with God. And then we wonder why we don't feel connected to God. You know, C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, we must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. We don't come to God as we think that he might want us to be or expect us to be or how we feel we really should be. God, my life is a mess, but I'm just going to ignore all of that and pretend that everything is fine. There is a place for gratitude. Even though things are bad, God is still good. And there is an intentional part of lifting our eyes above our circumstance. But to lift our eyes above our circumstance, I would suggest we need to start with our circumstance. You know, it's, it's interesting. If we read the, the Bible, the, the Psalms are the prayer book of the Bible. And God already knows all of what's inside you, the Psalms tell us. I think of Psalm 139, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You perceived my thoughts from afar before a word is on my tongue, Lord. You knew it completely. So we're not keeping it to ourselves for God's benefit. He already knows, right? We're not pulling the wool over his eyes. And so talking honestly with God about our pain is a type of prayer called lament. And again, if we need more evidence, so this is a scriptural approach, just read more of the Psalms, the, the, the prayer book of the Bible. Scholars tell us that two-thirds of the Psalms are lament. 
Two-thirds of the Psalms are, you know, read them. They're full of rage and anger and vengeance and jealousy and envy and doubt and depression. And you can read it and be like, why would God put that in Scripture? I want to suggest mainly because we are full of rage and anger and vengeance and jealousy and envy and doubt and depression that when we read it, we go, hey, I can talk to God about how I'm feeling. I can talk to God about where I'm at. I can talk with God about where I'm at. One way to think about lament is it's an emotionally healthy way of processing the pain of your life and world with God. It's learning to complain with God. Because I want to suggest if we don't complain with God, we'll end up complaining to our spouse or to our friend group or to our boss or to the internet or, or wherever else. We'll, we'll vent and we'll rage and we'll criticize and we'll just leak emotional waste into the atmosphere. Lament is a healthy and a productive use of our justified sorrow at a broken world. I'll say that one more time because I feel like that's permission for some of you. Lament is a healthy and productive use of our justified sorrow at a broken world. And lament will lead us naturally into our third and, and final way of talking with God, petition and intercession, asking God to fulfill his promises to overcome evil with good. These, these are two sides of the same coin. Petition is, is a, a fancy word, which simply means when we ask God to do something on our behalf. God, help me to, to get a job or help me to pay my rent or help me to, to, in this tricky situation, a prayer for, for me. And then intercession is when we ask God to do something on someone else's behalf. It's standing before God on behalf of people and people on behalf of God. Intercession is a, is a form of, of love, a way to carry each other's pain to God. And, and, and both petition and intercession are summarized by Jesus' command in Luke 11, to ask. Paul Miller in his book, A Praying Life, writes, all of Jesus' teachings on prayer in the Gospels can be summarized with one word, ask. Over and over again, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. He regularly says to people when he is interacting with them in his earthly ministry, what do you want me to do for you? And some of the times that's a dumb question. Like he walks up to a blind dude. Say, hey man, what can I do for you? What do you want? Like he's taking an order in a coffee shop. Like there is a, well, I could have all of these things. He's got one big problem, Jesus. Like maybe there are other things, but start with the obvious one. Maybe he wants to see. And yet Jesus says, what do you want? He puts the opportunity to ask in the hands of the people that he interacts with. And I don't think it's just because he's being weird. Right? Jesus tends to have bigger reasons for doing stuff than just being weird. See, many of us have, have thought about a problem in our life many times, but I wonder how many of us then transition not just from thinking about our problem, even from worrying in God's general direction to, to stopping and asking Jesus to do something about it. Right, Charles Spurgeon, one of the most famous preachers of all time, says whether we like it or not, asking is the rule of the kingdom. But the single most important thing that Jesus teaches his disciples about asking is not just to ask, but is to ask in Jesus' name. See, a, a few chapters later in John, Jesus says, I will do whatever you ask in my name. And, and we often see this kind of in Jesus' name. It can get kind of relegated, boiled down, dismissed in, in, in a faith context down to just like a convenient way to cue everyone in on when to say amen. Right? You're like, you know what I mean? Like the prayer is wrapping up. And we say, in Jesus' name, we all said, 
right? It's like a Christianese, one, two, three, four, go, yeah. We just like to be all in sync, right? Otherwise, you get scattered. You know, finish prayer, uh, amen, 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 amen. It's awkward, right? Can't have it. Going to have a nice and controlled, tidy church. It's not what it's for, right? Jesus is not like, look, you're going to really struggle when to know to say amen, so I'm going to give you a handy little kind of literary device which is going to cue you all in. It's going to make prayer meetings, services, all of the rest of it just much more convenient. Uh, trust me, right? Here is a good little, that's not the purpose. It is helpful for that. And, I, you know, it's not, not unhelpful, I want to acknowledge but there's more to it than that. See, when we pray in Jesus' name, we're doing two incredible things. Number one, we're standing in Jesus' authority. We are reminding ourselves that we pray as co-heirs with Christ, that we are sons and daughters of the Most High, that we come in the name and the authority of King Jesus with access to the full resources of the kingdom. That's a great reminder if we stop when we say in Jesus' name that we were, I'm actually praying with Jesus' authority that he has given me. But the other thing that it does is we're praying in Jesus' nature. In the ancient world, a person's name was a representation of their, of their character. You could come and ask for something in the name of someone and you were using not just their authority but, but their standing in the community, their character, their nature. And so when we ask in Jesus' name, we're asking for the kinds of things that Jesus would ask for in that given situation. We are praying prayers that we believe that Jesus would, would pray. Just, just a hint, right? That means that we should not pray things like, God, could you make that car that cut me off in traffic crash in Jesus' name? Not, not a great use of it, right? Like that's not just I don't want to tell you how to live your life, but probably not a great approach, right? Again, don't know where God's at with the whole lightning thing anymore. Talked about it a few weeks ago. But maybe, you know, try that and, uh, and let us know. If we don't see you next Sunday and we find out you've been struck by lightning, we'll be like, ah, they prayed for a bad thing in Jesus' name. That's what happened there. It's, I don't want to put fear in you. It's actually fine. God's gracious. But we're saying, when I'm praying for this, I am praying as I feel in my understanding of Jesus' nature. I'm praying as he would pray if he was here, because I actually believe that he is. I believe that Jesus is with me, that I am praying not just in my ability and authority, but that I am praying in Jesus' name, in his authority and in his nature. See, this is why if we pay close attention to the prayers of Scripture, be it Moses in the Old Testament or Paul in the New, they often don't pray problems, they pray promises. They, they call on God to do what they know God desires to do. I'm almost done as the, as the band comes and joins me. Maybe the whole time I've been speaking, there's been a, a little kind of niggle in the, in the back of your mind, like gratitude, lament, petition, intercession. Th those are fun words for Scrabble night, right? Like, thank you. You've equipped me to, to get a higher score. Appreciate that. But like, does prayer actually work? Is there actually a point? that The question lots of people want to ask, but I think many of us are too afraid to ask, is simply that, does prayer make a difference? And C.S. Lewis, in one of his essays, he voices the view of a skeptic, and what I think is a really helpful technique, he brings his concerns into light. It's almost like a prayer of lament. He brings them out in front of God rather than having power sitting in the dark recesses of his minds. And Lewis writes this, I don't think, in the voice of a critic, I don't think it at all likely that God requires the ill-informed and contradictory advice of us humans as to how to run the world. If he is all wise, as you say he is, doesn't he already know what is best? And if he is all good, won't he do it whether we pray it or not? See, I, I think it's the voice in the back of your head that says, does prayer make a difference? 
In reality, most of us believe or live as if we believe in fate. There is an undercurrent of, of determinism in, in the modern church. Whatever will be, will be. Things are just going to how, be how they're going to be. And, and I guess I could pray about it and that would feel nice for me. But I don't know if God actually answers my prayers. I don't know if God moves. But the problem is that Jesus didn't see the world that way. Jesus saw humanity as besieged by evil forces. That's why he chose to, to come to bring about a new reign to establish the kingdom of God, not just to heal what is broken, but to defeat what seeks to break. And prayer is how we join in that fight. See, Lewis, in response to his own voiced objection, continues to write and reply. He says, you could use the same argument about any human activity, not just prayer. Why wash your hands? If God intends them to be clean, they'll come clean without you washing them. Why ask for the salt? Why put on your boots? Why do anything? God could have arranged so that our bodies nourish themselves miraculously without food. Knowledge entered our brains without studying and umbrellas magically appeared to protect us from rainstorms. But God chose a different style of governing the world. A partnership with, a partnership, sorry, which relies on human agency and choice. See, what I, get we, what I think we cannot answer is why do our prayers work? But what we can answer is that our prayers do work. And we can answer this simply by going back to, to where we started and what Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in this prayer, there's two baked in assumptions. Number one, that the kingdom of God has not yet come and his will is not yet done, or else why pray it? Right, what are we doing if we're asking for something that has already happened, at least in full, and then that prayer actually makes a difference? Again, or else why pray it? Why would Jesus invite us to pray this prayer if there was not something that needs to happen and not something that our praying it affords to happen? There's two assumptions that things are not yet as they should be and that us praying makes some sort of a difference. What difference? Don't know. Don't understand how it works. But Jesus teaches us, Jesus instructs us, this is the way to approach God in prayer as if some things are not as they should be and as if your prayers make a difference in them becoming the way that they should be. And, and it's okay if that's confusing and it hurts your brain and it causes all sorts of questions about the tension between God's power and good intentions or what some might call sovereignty and providence and human free will. And it's something to be wrestled with, right? You're not going to get bored following Jesus. But I say all this to say talk with God. Prayer is about relationship. Prayer is about intimacy. And can I suggest that the act of prayer is just as important as the result? One final thought to close, and, and truly I think I've, I've saved the best for last. In a moment we're going to finish with an opportunity to pray, but in Genesis 18 we see Abraham talking to God. And, and it looks like he's bargaining. Right? God is, is going to destroy the, the sinful city of, of Sodom and, and some of Abraham's family live there. And so he says, God, what if there are 50 righteous people living there? Would you spare the city? And, and this is a bartering culture in the, in the ancient Near East. And so God should, in cultural expectations, say something like 100. 
He should go up. He should be at a different place to where Abraham is. And, and then Abraham comes up and, and they find somewhere nice in the middle, right? That's how bartering works. I start here, you start there, we meet in the middle. But Abraham says to God, if there are 50 righteous people, would you save the city? And God's response is, yeah. Yeah, if there's 50, I'll save it. Which is odd. And so Abraham's like, mm, okay, uh, 45? And God says, Everyone's like, um, 40, yeah, 30, yeah, 20, yeah, 10, yeah. God continually comes to where Abraham is. And so the question surely is, why not just start at 10? Like, why the dance? Why the ask? Why this, this interaction between them? See, in the ancient Near East, bartering isn't about striking a deal. Bartering is not about getting the best kind of deal out of it. Bartering at its heart, more than anything else, is about building relationship. It's about building trust. It's about building intimacy, about building an agreement between two people to say, hey, we can meet in a place where we are both happy. It's about building relationship more than it is about a transaction. See, this interaction between God and Abraham is not a transaction. It is a relationship. This is something that will last. We're not using each other as a means to an end. The relationship is the point. The bartering is the way to get there. Can I suggest in prayer, God wants us to ask, not just for what we're asking for, but for us as we ask that your prayers may not change the world out there in the ways that you think that they will or that you want them to, but every prayer that you pray changes something in the world in here. That some of the biggest answers to the prayers that we pray are not the things that we think we want to see, but are the ways in which we are transformed as we come to God as a loving Father, as we come to God in His mercy, as we come to God in His grace, as we come to God in our lament, in our sorrow, in our trouble, as we point out which is not as it should be and say, God, I declare your promises over this. I remind myself, if nothing else, that you are a good God and that you are working the overarching arc of human history towards the good for the those who love you. God, that something in me is being changed, not just what we ask for, but for us to build something in us. I would say it this way, prayer is a way we ask God to act and do the things that only He can do in the world. And prayer is a way of giving God the space to do what only He can do in us. We get to talk with God. God is not a genie. This is not about a transaction. This is not a magical wish list. This is a relationship. We get to talk with God, to pray, to come to God with gratitude or lament or petition or intercession. I'm done to finish with a quote from John Mark Homer. He says this, to pray is both a moral responsibility and a spiritual opportunity to partner with God to bend the arc of human history in the direction of His kingdom. As you stand, in a moment, I'm gonna invite you to pray just for a minute or so to talk with God. And in the words of Peter Gregg, just bring what you got. If you're here today and life is great, bring gratitude. If you're here today and life is horrible, bring lament. If you're somewhere in the middle, but, but you would like God to move in your life, bring petition. If there's something broken, not in your life, but in the lives of those who you love, bring intercession. Whatever it is, talk with God.
Pray that His kingdom might come, that His will might be done on earth in Ototahi and in our own hearts as it is in heaven. It's as every head is bowed, as his eyes are closed. I'm gonna ask you to take a little bit of an uncomfortable step. And for a minute, pray as you're able. I'd encourage you if, you, if you are able, pray out loud that you would create an environment of faith and response for others to feel comfortable in their prayer. But if that's not where you're at, that's not where you have to be. But for a minute, pray gratitude, pray lament, pray petition or pray intercession, whatever it is, for a minute. Church, could we just lift up an environment, a response, an approach of prayer to God? Come on. He is your Father. Would you talk with Him? Thank you, God. God, thank you that we can talk with you. God, we thank you that the goal of prayer is prayer. God, that we're not bargaining. God, that, that we are not convincing, but we are, we are asking. God, that we are coming to you in relationship. God, would you help us to see the beauty in the world? God, to receive it in gratitude. God, and when we see brokenness in the world, help us to lament, to take what is not as it should be and to declare your promises over it, to bring petition and intercession, to say, God, this is broken, but you are the God of the revival. You are the God of the mending. You are the God of the turnaround. And so we will not leave this as it is. God, that we might partner with you in bringing your kingdom to come and your will to be done here and now in Christchurch, in Ototahi, in us, as in heaven. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.